You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Amen. You can have a seat. We have been in a sermon series that we have called Open House. Uh, We opened up this new facility, and our message has been, you belong here. No matter who you are, where you come from, or what you've done, we believe that you have found a place to belong. And, And so we've been discussing and sharing our core values as a church. And last Sunday, the core value that we talked about was that generosity is a lifestyle. And so if we want to follow Christ, if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, then we must become a generous person because he is the ultimate giver. To be more like him is to be generous. And so uh, we, we, we realize and we begin to unpack that concept that generosity isn't a one-time event. It's not just something we do at Christmas time. It's, it's something that we become. It's who we become. And so we live a lifestyle of generosity. And you know, we, we talked about that it's all about investing in the vision. And so my challenge to you was to come back today. So way to go. You came back and And my challenge was that you would come prepared to give today like never before. Like you would come and you would be prepared to give 10% of what you actually make. And we looked at the statistic that typically 20% of the people give 80% of the resources. And so my question was, man, what would it look like if 100% of us actually for one day decided, that, okay, we're going to give a percentage. We're going to give 10%. And, and uh, we just wanted to see what our capacity was as a church. And so at the end of the service today, you're going to have an opportunity to join us in that challenge. And I hope that you will. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do as a result. Well, today I want us to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel today. Um, as you are turning in your Bible to that, have you ever bought a gift for somebody, but when they opened it, you realized they didn't like it? <laughs> you ever done that? Uh, not too, too long ago, um, I got a notification that if I didn't use my Sky Miles, that I was going to lose them. And so I don't know if you have this, but um, uh, we, we had some Sky Miles built up. We were going to lose these and we weren't uh, planning on any trip to fly or to do anything. And so I just decided that I was going to use those Sky Miles to buy something. So I went to the Sky Mall, you know. And so I don't know if you've ever been there, but all kinds of products. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to surprise my wife, Micah, with a new gift. And so I, I jumped online and I started looking at all these cool gifts. And all, they, they have just kind of all kinds of weird products and stuff like that. So I was getting excited. And, and man, as I was looking at all these cool things, I was like, man, there's a few things that I, I actually could use too. And so... Uh, um, I, I ended up buying myself something, and then I, uh, I got her a gift, and then I didn't tell her. And a couple weeks later, um, two boxes showed up at our house. And who, who in the room gets excited when boxes come to your house? Like, you get excited, you want to open those. And so she was excited, right? And I told her, hey, we had some, we had some Sky Miles, so this didn't cost us anything. But I, I decided to get you something, and she was so excited, you know. And, and uh, when she tells the story, she kind of interjects at this point that she had just went to a class at UT uh, for photography. She was getting into this, this new thing. She was loving photography. It was picking it up as a hobby, and she was, you know, getting gear. And, and, uh, and so when, when she saw these boxes, she thought that I had connected some dots and, like, I was going to, like, give her something um, in, that, in that world. And so um, she, she always likes to point that out. And then so we opened the box, like, and, I, and one box was, like, really, really, you know, much, much larger than the other box. And so, so I get to the big box, and I open it up, and uh, it was a new flat screen TV for our bedroom. And I was like, look, honey, 
I got, I, I got me something too. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. It's a new flat screen. It's for our bedroom. And she was like, oh, uh, okay. Um, well, what's in the other one? Because she doesn't really watch TV, especially in the bedroom. She doesn't, you know, uh, when really excited about that. And so she opened up the little box and she opened it up. And, 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 and when, she, when she got it out, she, she realized what it was. And she said, it's a kitchen knife. She said, you, you uh, see, see what you, you, you had some extra money that we never have, and you bought yourself a flat screen TV, and, and you bought me a kitchen knife? <laughs> and it was at that moment that I was like, I, I, I had messed up, right? I had, I had messed up. That was not a good thing. And I was like, but it's a really good knife, you know? It's like a, it's like a cool knife. You know, I realized, okay, what I had done. And over time... Uh, the, the guilt has grown. Like, like what I did was my intention was like I was going to give her a really good gift. But once I got into the, the shopping mode, I actually gave myself the best. And the money that I had left over, I, I got her a gift. And when I realized that, I realized that how often that happens in my worship as well. And maybe for you, you can experience this or have experienced this. Like maybe your intention was that you wanted to serve God with all of your heart. You wanted to give Jesus everything. You wanted to go full board, all out. But then in your attempt to do so, you, what you ended up doing was you actually were more generous to yourself. You, you saved more. You gave more to yourself. And you, you gave God the leftovers. You see, when it comes to our relationship with God, he's not after the leftovers. He desires our best. In fact, he deserves our best. And the truth is, everyone in here is giving our best to something. We give our best to a hobby. We give our best to a sport. We give our best to a job. Some of you are giving your best to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. But what about God? Does God get your best? You see, we give our best to that which we value the most. And what you value the most is what you worship. So if you're tracking with me, when we think about worship, when we, when we, when we have this idea, a lot of times we think in terms of a worship service. We, we have gathered today for a worship service. And we, th- we say things like, man, I hope they sing this song. Or I hope they don't sing that song, or I hope they do this again, or I hope they don't do that again. I almost didn't come, but I decided to come. Man, I hope Trent preaches a good message. I really need this today. And what we're saying as we make these comments to ourselves most of the time, what we're revealing is that this opportunity today has become all about us, all about what we need and what's in it for me. And the thing about worship is that there's a lot in it for us. But the greatest thing and the most amazing thing about worship is that it's all for God. Most of us need to flip our perspective around and say, I'm not coming today because I need it. I'm coming today because God, you are worth it. And I'm coming today because I want to give you my best. I want to worship you. So what you offer to God matters today. 
Because what you offer to God today is your worship to God, and your worship matters. And so the question is, will you give God leftovers, or will you give God your best? And so to help us remember this core thought, uh, we have uh, decided to write this core statement on our wall as you walked into this room. And the value is this, Jesus deserves our best. He deserves our best. And so the setting of our story today is in chapter 4 of Genesis. It's, it's the first recorded story of worship. It's the first record of an offering to God. And the problem with this offering is that one was accepted and one was not. And so when we look at it, we'll begin to uncover some truths that I hope will transform your heart and life today, especially in the area of worship. So verse 1 says this. Now Adam and Eve... I'm sorry, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Let's just pause there. We'll pick up in just a moment. What I want to start with today is the goal of worship. The goal of worship. Because we want to begin to uncover this goal. Why we are here. What our life is all about. We're created for worship worship. But what is the goal of worship? So we see here that Cain's offering to God, his act of worship to God, his sacrifice to God was rejected. And the reason is because Cain did not bring his first and his best. He only brought some of his crops. He didn't bring his best. He actually kept the best for himself. The problem was not that an animal sacrifice was better than a grain offering, but it was the integrity of the giver. And so when we worship both the gift that we give to God and ourselves are examined. So it's about who I am, my integrity is examined, and what in fact I give. And so Abel was able to give God his first and his best. He gave of his firstborn. But Cain gave out of his excess. In other words, out of his leftovers. Whatever you see, you give first is your best. And what you give first And what is your best reveals what you truly value, what you truly worship. It may not be the biggest line, Autumn. Uh, It may not be the biggest gift and cause jaws to drop when you give it or you offer it. But we all give our first and our best to something. It's that part of our life that gets the top priority, and that shows what we treasure the most. So there is a right way to worship God, an acceptable way. And there is a wrong way, an unacceptable way to worship our God. And so if you want to serve God, if you're going to worship him, you better know and do what actually pleases him. And, and not give a, a kitchen knife to your wife. You better, you better give something that is appropriate, right? You, you better give him what he is desiring and what he is asking you and I to give. Most of us walk away from Sunday morning 
And if you were honest, um, if you talk about it at all with your family and friends, you'll ask something like this, did you get anything out of the sermon? You know, that seems like an okay question to ask, and, and so maybe that leads to some conversations. But again, did you get anything out of the sermon or out of the service reveals your heart. It reveals a wrong way of thinking about our time today. Because we should not be asking what we are getting out of this experience. We should be asking God what he got out of the experience. Did I give you my best today, Jesus? Did I forgive the person you told me to forgive? Did I confess what you wanted me to confess? Did I serve in a way that you have called me to serve? Because the goal of worship is to please God. It's to serve God. It's to treasure God. We recognize his worth. We recognize his value, and as we treasure him, we respond to him by giving him love and song and service and finances, and, and we give our heart, and we ascribe to him what is due to his name, and we find joy in knowing him and in serving and in worshiping him. Jesus says in John 4, the hour is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship, here it is, must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And so what what this means for us to truly worship God, what pleases him is a right response to the truth of who he is. Not who you think he is and not who you want him to be, but who he really is. And that is revealed to us in the, in the truth of, of his word, his, his scripture. Worship is also depending upon our right spirit. So our attitude, our emotional response, does he have my heart? Does he have your heart? Is he the ultimate thing in your heart today? So true worship, based on right understanding of God and a right response to God emotionally, spiritually, offering praise and worship to him. Jonathan Edwards, uh, pastor and author in the 1700s, one of my favorite pastors and writers of all times, he spoke about Christianity and our faith consisting in our affections. And he said, our affections are that which we love is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions towards an object. And so he, he, he shares that if we are truly going to worship the Lord in in truth and in spirit, then all three of these components are going to be a part of our life. Our mind, our emotion, and our will. So let's think about it. Our mind. If you're truly going to worship God today, your mind is going to be engaged. So as I'm speaking, you are engaged. We're looking at the Word of God. We're engaging intellectually at the Word of God. We sing songs, and so we're engaging the lyrics. We're thinking about God. And so as we think about God, we learn new things about God. And as we are thinking about God, we're reminded about things that we already knew, but that are are, are again kind of lifted up in our thinking so that we we are, whoo, all right, I, I, I know that. And I'm reminded now of this amazing truth. And so my mind is engaged. And then as my mind is engaged, my emotions will follow that. That's the progression, right? Now I can get excited about that truth. Now, oh, 
God is so good. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. So now I want to lift up my voice. Now I want to lift up my hands. Now I want to give of my time. I want to give money. I want to give myself to this God because of this truth that I know or that I learned. And so my emotions, I'm excited, right? Excited in worship. But here's the deal. Here's the flip side. If, if the intellect or the mind is the only thing that you're concerned about, in other words, you want to learn new truth, and you've heard people, I want to go deeper. I want to know Jesus. Like, I want to, I want to dig in. But, but when, they, when they come to church, they come to worship, it's like they're, they're stoic, right? There's no emotion. Like if it's only about truth and there's no emotion, then it's not authentic worship. If it's only about truth and learning stuff, and it's not about the will, in other words, you're submitting your will to God, you're changing things in your life, it's not true worship. Same is true about your emotions. If, if, if I come to, to, to church, and it's, and it's all about, woohoo, you know, and I'm excited, and I'm, 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 I'm singing loud, and my hands are up, and I'm emotional, and I'm all excited, and I'm jumping around, and kicking my shoes off, or whatever it is some of these charismatic churches do, and speaking whatever kind of language they want to speak in, but there's no truth behind that. It's not true worship. It's not authentic worship. It's just emotionalism. The same is true for our will. So our will has to be engaged. When we worship God authentically, then we are confessing sin, we're forgiving people, we're, we're, we're actually serving people. It's why Let's Go Week uh, was, was accomplished this past week because out of your knowledge and out of your love for Jesus, your emotion for Jesus, you serve the city. And so you gave up a night of the week, you gave up Saturday, you worked and you served with this community to bless this city, right? But listen, if all you do is serve, don't miss this. If all you do is give and there's no emotion, then it's not authentic worship. That's why all three must be present. All three must be engaged. Now, when we look around this room and uh, the music is playing and some of you are going after Jesus and, you know, you're singing and you're engaged, there's a whole nother group of you that, you know, don't necessarily look like your emotions are engaged. You look like you stepped out of an episode of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Coming in here like, you know, and you know, during the music, you're still like drooling, and we don't know if you're alive yet. So I, I, I hope, and, 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 my, and by the way, we do look. Yes, we look. We're watching. Why? Because I, because I, I can't judge. Right? I'm not the judge. I don't know. But I can kind of get a gauge for where our church is at. And for the most part, there's a large group of people that are really diving in and hungry and serving and, and growing. And then there's another large part that I would say are not doing those things and are not engaging in the music, are not engaging in the offering, are not engaging in the sermon, they're not engaging in ministry. And so, so we've got to come to this reality to where today is not about you, today is about God, and asking him the question, did I walk away from today and did I give you my best, my mind, my emotions, and my will. This is why we've got to learn to worship. You don't just get saved and boom, all of a sudden you know everything and you're doing everything perfectly. And so there's grace here as we talk about this. Some of you are like, bro, I haven't sung in weeks, you know. Uh, and, and so you're, you're getting a little convicted and that's, that's a good conviction. But at the same time, this is why we got to learn. 
This is why we've got to grow in this because we've got to strive to give Jesus our best. We've got to learn about his grace and truth. And then that leads us emotionally into physically with my voice singing out to him and saying, yes, you are good. Yes, you are awesome. Right? And so we thank him and then we serve and we give. And, and so all three, mind, emotion, will, are engaged and we're growing. Cain's offering was rejected. But Abel's offering was accepted, and it's because that he brought the firstborn of his flock. So the firstborn being the, the, the priority, the most important. And it also says that he brought the fat portions, right? So that's the best part of the animal, the ribeye, praise God, amen, right? Or the T-bone, you get a little, the little New York strip plus the little filet, right? And so, so the, the fatty portions are the, are the more flavorful Portions, and so he brings his first and his best, and so his worship was accepted. Hebrews 11.4 tells us more about this offering. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. His worship was accepted because he gave it in faith. He gave his best to God. In faith, he, he gives his, his best, and he trusted that God was worth it. He trusted that God would bless him as he gave. He trusted that God would provide for him. This is, this is the act of giving up something that is important to you, trusting that God is going to bless and provide and take care of you. This is what faith is, right? In verse 6, God approaches Cain after the offering, and in love, he comes to him as a counselor. Scripture says that Cain is very angry. It says that his face fell. And so we begin to see his motives. His motives are uncovered, and, 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 and he was very self-absorbed. He's angry. He's jealous of his brother. He's angry at his brother, and his face falls in depression. And so God, as a counselor, comes lovingly. Even though what he brought was not accepted, he didn't bring his best, God doesn't show up like Thanos, like trying to, boom, we're going to kill everybody, right? Judgment. No, he, he comes in as a counselor, and he asks questions. He comes to him, and, and uh, he says, you know, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? What a great question. Because God wants to get to the motives behind your worship. Why are you so angry? Why, why don't you connect emotionally at church? Why, why are you so frustrated? Why is church perhaps boring to you? What are the motives behind your actions today? So I think God is trying to help him see his motives and his, his jealousy and the anger that is within him because his anger and jealousy are keeping him from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And he comes as a counselor. Essentially, what is making your heart tick right now, Cain? That's a great question for you. What, what really is making your heart tick today? What are you giving your best to? We see the goal of worship is to please and value God, to treasure him completely and give him our best. And now we see the gravity of sin, the gravity of sin. Look at verse 7. We'll continue with the story. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed. Cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. We see the gravity of sin here. It says in verse 7 that sin is crouching at the door. So God is teaching us a really important point here as it relates to our sin. The word crouching was used to describe a lion, a tiger, that would crouch down, right? Uh, so that the, its prey would not see or, or notice him. And so that at just the right moment, he could pounce, he could jump, and, and destroy the prey, right? And so this is the picture of what sin does. Sin crouches in your life. It gets out of your view, and it wants you to think that it's much smaller than it actually is. But it's ready to pounce on you and to kill you. That's the nature of sin. Sin ruins your worship. Now, if you're going to walk out your front door today at home, and, and in your front lawn is a crouching you know, lion, and you don't know he or she is there, then when you walk out your front door, you're dead me. You don't have a chance, do you? You're dead. But if you know when you come to your front door that there is a crouching lion in your front lawn, then at least you have a shot. Because at least at that point, you can be prepared for it. You can, you can watch out for it. You can guard against it. Plus, you live in Blount County and you own a shotgun, right? And so <clears throat> you got it. But this is what the nature of sin does. It hides. It pretends like it's not a big deal. It wants you to think that it's little and small, but in just a moment, it's ready to pounce on you and to kill you. You say, it's just a grudge. Just a small grudge, not a big deal. I just, every time I see that person, want to smack them, but it's not a big deal. Like, I'm not going to kill them. I just don't like them. It's just a grudge. I'm a little envious. I'm a little jealous. Okay, okay, okay. Not a big deal, right? But then there are moments in your life when that small crouching tiger will pounce on you and in that jealousy and grudge will spring forth in you hurtful words, impatience, idolatry, right? Just a little thing. But we see how it pounces and affects all of our relationships. It's just flirting. It's not a big deal. Just flirting. I know I'm married, but it's just flirting. It's crouching, just kind of there acts like it's not a big deal, and then out of nowhere, boom, it pounces, and now all of a sudden that flirting turns into lust, and now my mind is thinking about this person, and, and I'm fantasizing about this situation, and, and I, I'm excited to go to this environment because I know that person is there, and that crouching lion will devour you, and your worship today is already ruined because of it. 
If you leave sin alone, it is ready to spring on you like a lion to devour you. It will hide. It leads us to think it's not a big deal, but it will, in fact, destroy you. Because Cain doesn't deal with his anger, he doesn't deal with his jealousy, this crouching sin attacks him, and in rage, he murders his brothers, the first murder in the history of the world. And again, God comes to him. You would think at this point, God knows he killed his brother, and you would think that God would come ready to judge him and, and boom, just kind of destroy and, 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 you know, but he doesn't. He comes in love, and, and it is reminiscent of chapter 3, verse 9 of Genesis, where God comes to Adam with the question, where, where are you? Where, why are you hiding? Why you got fig leaves on? Right? Because God comes with a question. He comes in grace. He comes in love. And so in love, he goes to Cain, and he says, hey, where's your brother at? And how does Cain respond? Oh, I'm so sorry, God. I, I, I killed him. I got really, really mad, and I just want to confess to you that I, that, that I murdered him. That's not what he says. He, he eludes the question. He answers the question with a question. You've seen this in our politicians, right? I'm going to answer this question with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, what a question for our culture today. Am I my brother's keeper? Because in his mind, what he's saying is, bro, I take care of me. I don't worry about him. I'm not worried about her. I don't have to deal with all those people. Like, all I have to look out for is numero uno, me. I'm dealing with me, taking care of me. I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't have to deal with that, right? Because we live in a culture that is very individualistic. What you want, go for it. Leave everybody else alone. What you want, do it. Doesn't matter how it affects everybody else. In the scriptures, we see a completely different mentality. In the scriptures, we see that we are called to community, that we are called to be in community because we need each other to grow. We need each other for accountability. We need each other for love and support. We need each other to become the man that God is calling us to become. And so it's in community that now if I sin, I consider how my sin will affect this person. How my sin affects my wife, how my sin affects my kids, how my sin affects my pastors, how my sin affects my small group leaders, my mentors. We begin to think in terms of community. Yes, your sin messes with all of us. It ruins relationships, right? And Cain's mentality is just about me, not my problem. In 1 John 3, 12, it says Cain was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. His deeds were evil. And when our deeds are evil, the consequences are too much for us to bear. We see the punishment of sin here. Because of his sin, Cain is driven out of God's presence. A very sad story. The murder of a brother. And then he is sent out of the presence of God. Cain is a farmer. Like his father, he is a tiller of the ground. So he works the ground. He grows his crops. This is why God created him. This is his purpose. As he worships God, he is a farmer. And he must now live as a wanderer, homeless, no job. Don't miss this. If you let sin crouch in your life and then pounce on you, it will destroy you. And the consequences of that will, in fact, could possibly make you miss the whole reason why God even created you. How sad. How sad that Cain doesn't get to do what God created him to do. He, in fact, 
is created to be a farmer, and now he is in the land of Nod, which means the land of wandering. He is cursed. He polluted the ground with the innocent blood of his brother, and he was forced to leave. Just like his father, by the way, this would be a good in, you know, insert for a, a, a parenting sermon, but just like his father, he's forced to leave his land. But we see the gravity of sin, but now let's notice the grace of God, the grace of God here. So in this picture, we see God again coming with the question, where is your brother? He doesn't drop the hammer on him in judgment. At this point, he is still hoping that he will repent. He, he, he still has an opportunity to confess here. He does not, but it's still God's grace. His grace shows you and I today that no matter what we've done, he's giving you an opportunity to repent today. He's giving you an opportunity to embrace his forgiveness. And, and even though Cain does not plead with God for forgiveness. He does make a plea for God. You know what he does? He pleads for his life. All he does is focus on the punishment. It's too much, God. It's, all, it's not fair. It's not fair that this is happening, and it's not fair that this is happening, right? Why? We can tell that you are an unrepentant, you know, person when you focus on the punishment being too severe. Because true repentance doesn't focus on the punishment. It focuses on dealing with the sin. Cain doesn't deal with the sin. He deals with the punishment. It's too much. I'm going to be a wanderer. I'm going to be a loser. And then my, somebody's going to kill me. And God, in his love, in his grace, says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put a mark on you. I don't know what this mark is. But he gets a mark so that going forward, when people see this mark, it would show them that God's protection is upon him. Do not harm him. And I think, man, we can't miss this. We cannot miss this. The fact that in love, God sends him out of his presence, and yet he still gives him his protection is something that we need to hear today. Think about it. I love you, but you can't stay in my presence. What you have done is wrong, but I still care for you. I still love you. Right? Our culture doesn't want to hear that. Our culture doesn't want that. Some of you don't want that because you're in the same boat. Like, you either love me for who I am, accept me for who I am, or you don't. You either love me or you don't accept me, therefore you don't love me. It's an either or. I've got to accept all of you, including your sin, or I don't love you and I'm not for you. And God says a different truth. He speaks a wise truth for each of us to hear today that God is loving Cain while he says what you have done is wrong. You cannot stay here. Some of you haven't been able to balance that yet because for you as a Christian, those people are sinners and they don't trust God and therefore, I'm not going to welcome them in here, and I don't want them around me, and I'm not going to... Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Because in the truth of Scripture, we see the reality that we can, in fact, declare, based upon the Word of God, this is wrong, and yet I still love you. I, I care for you. I want to protect you. You're welcome here. Why? Because the hope is that one day Cain will turn his life around and he'll repent of his sin, right? We don't, 
We don't know what happens here. But our hope to our community is that this is wrong. We love you and we pray that you'll find Jesus. See, Cain is a religious person. Cain's worshiping God, right? At the beginning of the story, he's bringing his worship before the Lord, believes in God. He's a, he's a moral guy. He's a, a good guy. He's like some of you, though, honestly. You come to FC, you're not giving God your best. Your offering is not, not your best at all. And, but you think you're a decent guy. You're, you're a pretty good guy. But you're not coming to worship because he deserves it. You come for some other motive or some other reason. And in a sense here, we, we see that it's the canes of the world that killed Jesus. The religious people killed Jesus. The pimps and the prostitutes didn't kill Jesus. It was the religious people, the moral people, the people that thought they had it all together, the ones that killed Jesus. So, so Cain killed Jesus. You, you and I killed Jesus. And yet Abel is a foreshadowing of Jesus. When Abel's blood was spilled, the scripture here says that Abel's blood cries out for, from the ground. What does it cry out for? Justice. Somebody must pay for this blood, foreshadowing a Savior to come. And Hebrews 12 teaches us, verse 24, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood is spilled. It cries out for justice. Jesus's blood is spilled, and it cries out, you can be forgiven. As a Christian, when you sin, as a sinner, Jesus says to the Father, their sin is acquitted. He is forgiven. My blood has covered them. That is the greatest word I have ever heard. It's the greatest truth we have ever experienced and heard about today. And as a result, it should lead us to worship to value and treasure Jesus above all else and to give him our best, to give him our best in everything. And as we serve him at work and at school and in sports, yeah, we are working hard, but we are not working hard for ourselves. We are working hard because he worked hard for us and I don't have to work anymore because his grace is sufficient, his love is sufficient, and now I'm serving him. And everything that I do is an act of worship for him. And so I'm giving my best in worship, but I'm also giving my best in these areas too. Why? Not for me, for him. So that everything in my life is an act of worship. It's why we were created to worship. It's why every single one of us have to grow in this area. Because every single one of us values something today more than Jesus. So that every single Sunday, should be a wrestling match with God. What do I need to body slam today, Lord? I body slammed that sin last week, cropped back up, put me in a headlock, got to body slam it again, right? You're going to give me joy. You're going to give me power. You're going to help me defeat this. Why? Because this sin is crouching in my life. It's going to kill me. So I'm going to continue to attack it. I'm going to have power over it through the name and power of the Spirit of God who lives within me. And so today we're going to close with an opportunity to 
physically now with our bodies, with our voice, worship God. We see that everything we do can be an act of worship, right? So listening to the sermon is an act of worship. Engaging the scriptures with our minds is an act of worship. Now we engage our emotions as we sing. We're going to close with a song, and then we're going to engage our will today because our will has been submitted to God, and we're going to give to him today. And so we're going to, we're going to sing, and then we're going to have an opportunity to give, and then we're going to worship, and we're going to leave here different. Let's pray. Father, we trust that you are working in our heart. The very fact that we are here today means that you're doing something special in our life. And Lord, we are struggling, every single one of us, to serve ourselves and to worship and to value things that are empty. So turn our attention and our affection upon you. Turn our heart to you so that when we sing today, we are engaging you. We recognize that the Spirit of God is here. And emotionally, we're going to sing, and and those who never sing are going to start to sing, and those who never raise their hands are going to start to raise their hands, and those who never pray during music are going to pray, and and those who don't even know who Jesus are today are going to find him. We want to give you our best today, not the leftovers, not the leftovers of our heart or our mind, but we want to give you our best. So grow us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing about the greatness and goodness of God. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.